Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich. That would be me. And we celebrate conversation with creative people who have a lot to say and a lot to offer. And I love a good thriller, and boy, did we find a new one that you definitely want to read. It's called Rage of the Jinn, J-I-N-N. It is absolutely thrilling with a supernatural aspect to it. The author is Ox DeVere. Now, let me explain. Ox DeVere is a pseudonym for a writing duo, Parker Jamison and Paul Kimball. And yes, we'll explain the meaning behind that pseudonym. With me is Parker Jamison, who's worked in the film industry for years, now puts her love for thrilling and cinematic suspense onto the pages of globe-trotting novels. I love this book, Rage of the Gin. Let's talk about it with Ox DeVere, a.k.a. Parker Jamison, as we welcome her to join us on mic. We're going to be talking about this amazing book, Rage of the Gin, but uh, you are a fascinating character in your own right, Parker. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, first of all. Good to be here. Let's talk about the title, Rage of the Jinn, J-I-N-N. What is the jinn referring to? And We'll get into it in more detail. Well, jinn are um, Middle Eastern sort of fire spirits. Uh, that's sort of where we get the word for genie. Um, really, they're not, they're not inherently bad, though many of them are mischief makers. Ah, a little loci in everybody, I guess, huh? All right, well, we're going to get into the story, the ins and outs, the detail, the fact that you are a master of a lot of things that you write about. So we'll get into that. But let's talk about Ox DeVere. So I had to do a little research, and I did, thanks to your website. And I always thought it was Francis Bacon who was the guy who wrote the Shakespeare mm -hmm. plays. Where do you come up with the name Ox DeVere? I was not a huge Shakespeare person in school. And I always thought the idea that, oh, he didn't really write it was kind of strange in conspiracy theory until I heard Mark Rylance and Derek Jacobi speaking about Shakespeare. Now, these guys have probably done more Shakespeare in their life than any other living actors. Um, and they were sort of discussing the amount of knowledge this guy had. And in an age where books were not readily available, there's simply no way he could have had the understanding of Italian courts and law and astronomy and, you know, a bevy of languages. You had to have a solid education. And so they started discussing who they believed was the actual author and that Shakespeare was a pen name. So when I went to start writing, I always knew I would want to use a pen name. And it just hit me that uh, Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford, would be a great way to start. It's kind of interesting that even the name of the author, quote unquote, is a puzzle. And you and your co-authors, and I know Paul Kimball is a, is a, co a colleague of yours, obviously into solving riddles, puzzles, in some cases with the world on edge. <laughs> so I love the fact that that's a, that's a puzzle that we had to figure out. Good for you. Good for you. I like that. Let's talk about Rage of the Jinn then. You've got a clandestine, I love that word, clandestine group in the CIA and the Central Intelligence Group that is very reminiscent of X-Files. They investigate what? Tell us about the group. It's not quite Indiana Jones. Um, it's got kind of that feel to it, but the operators within this small black book unit in the CIA, uh, they don't inherently know everything. I mean, 
Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. He had a great foundation of knowledge for everything he was looking for. But the head of this unit sort of tracks nefarious figures around the world who are trying to get their hands on things. And it sort of started with um, with the Nazis who were fascinated with trying to get their hands on occultic relics. And that would have, you know, it's not necessarily that any of these things would have had real power, but it provides a great basis for a story that you want to stop the bad guys from getting the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the characters that you bring to bear uh, there's a strong female named Ridley and a terrific partner named Henri. Why don't we just set the tone and describe who these people are and their backgrounds? Well, Ridley is a, a failed soldier. Um, she was the first female to be admitted into BUDS training, which is for Navy SEALs. And it's one of the most grueling training processes in the American military. And she wanted to be the first and she put everything into it. And she failed because of an accident that blew out one of her eardrums. So she could no longer dive to depth. She would never be a Navy SEAL. Um, and it left her with a real sense of failure in her identity. And um, that drives her. She's got a chip on her shoulder. And she's always battling that sense of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. So she was recruited to this CIA unit um, for her unique skill set, which allowed her to get into BUDS, her physical skill set, as well as... Uh, her proficiency in a number of languages and her openness to learning, exploring. She's very dogged and just will not let go of her mission. She's also very, she's also physically equipped to handle herself with weapons, hand-to-hand uh, -hand and all that. And let's talk about Henri, who is, uh, what, former Secret Service? So he comes well-prepared, I imagine. Yes, he was a sniper with the Secret Service, and he is Haitian by birth. He became... Uh, an American citizen. He he has taken to his new country with great patriotism. He's a bit more reserved than Ridley, uh, so he provides a pretty good compliment to her. And he mm. is more fascinated with the learning process. So he brings the complementary skill set, I would say. It puts the world on edge at the world at stake, the three major religions of the world. And there's so much going on. But you start in a, all places Paris at Notre Dame Cathedral, which had the big fire, of course, and it's currently under reconstruction. You really described that beautifully. Did you get a chance to visit there in the process? I went before it burned. Um, and I was so fortunate to be able to see it in its sort of original state. Uh, the day it burned was actually really traumatic for me. I, I never thought I'd be so affected by the near destruction of a building. Mm. But I think it just represents so much. I actually, uh, a year later, I met and befriended someone who was in Notre Dame that morning. She was one of the last people on earth mm. to see it before it burned. Mm. It wasn't her fault, I asked. <laughs> um, but uh, I have not been back there since. Of course, it's. I believe it's reopening this spring for visitors. Mm -hmm. um, but the story of finding a sarcophagus is true. This all came from a real story. So it, they actually, oh. in their renovation, okay. found a mysterious sarcophagus buried under Notre Dame, and they had no idea what it was doing there. No one knew it was there. Perfect starting point for your adventure story, because when opened, uh, it releases something uh, rather nefarious, something evil. We talked about the gin at the beginning. Um, and then, uh, I don't want to, again, give any plot points, but a major focus is on the Knights of the Templar. And you did a ton of research, you and your, your colleague, obviously, because 
The Knights of the Templar are legendary, but for those listeners who are new to the Knights of the Templar, basically who were they and what role did they play in this story? Well, they were originally um, a knightly order that was to protect pilgrims to the Holy Land from Europe. Um, it was a long trip, and there were a lot of bandits out there, uh, a lot of bad actors on the way. And so originally they were sort of armed escorts, and they considered it their holy duty. The order actually grew, though, into something so powerful that they were sort of the first modern bankers. And a lot of people believe that one of the reasons they were um, disbanded in a bloody fashion by the King of France is because the King of France owed them an enormous amount of money. And instead of repaying it, if you're the absolute monarch, I don't know, just um, just slaughter a whole bunch of them and kick them out of the country. Right. And that's where they really lost their power. They're famous for their tunics, right? The white and red Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah, they've been featured in a lot of um, a lot of stories about this stuff. I think uh, in Indiana Jones, the guy who's holding the grail is a former Knight of the Temple. Right, right, right. But they're uh, kind of mystical. People love talking about them, learning about them. Um, they're part of a type of lore that really entrances people, I think. Well, that's what's fun about a story like this. Uh, you go Old and New Testament, and uh, you think about all the things that are still being discovered today. As you say, uh, an actual sarcophagus was discovered in the ruins of the fire at Notre Dame. I mean, who knows what's out there? So it, it lends itself to great storytelling. The trek that is ongoing, you go from country to country, from the Middle East to Europe, back to the Middle East, to Jerusalem. It, it's a travelogue in a way. How much of these spots have you uh, spent some time in? Okay. I did not go to Syria, that is for sure. Probably a wise um, move, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was a good stamp on my passport. Um, I have been to Jerusalem. I have been to Paris. I have been to Portugal, uh, in fact, just last year, which is outstanding. Highly recommend. I, I was there um, last year, too. Absolutely. I loved it. Yeah, Lisbon and food, Porto. food, the weather, everything. Right. Great it's country. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, and I actually have not been to Egypt yet, but my father was born and grew up in Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so it's always been part of the family lore. And uh, he went back recently for the first time in 50 years. So came back with a whole bunch of photos. And that's just always, always enchanting. Ancient you Egypt, you so. credit, I think on the website, your website, you credit uh, tourists who take lots of pictures and videos as they're strolling through streets to get a real sense of the descriptives. Yeah, I, there are generous, amazing people out there who attach a GoPro to themselves and walk through foreign cities for an hour sometimes and just show you places. They'll put up little titles about a little bit of history here, a little bit there. There is, short of actually going, there is nothing better than those. I am deeply grateful if you have ever done this, if anyone out there listening has ever been so kind to upload something like that. It is actually an invaluable tool for getting a sense of space and the people and even traffic patterns. So it, it is, I don't know how people did this about the internet, truly. There's obviously a lot of highs and I don't want to say lows, but high points of action and then they move on to the next place. But the climactic action takes place in Jerusalem and did a lot of descriptive analysis uh, about the Dome of the Rock and uh, because that's kind of the center of everything, and it's the center of a lot of tension. Perfect place to have the denouement occur, I would imagine. Yeah, there really is no more explosive place on Earth 
than that 2.2 square miles of the Temple Mount. Um, I actually have not been onto the Temple Mount. When I visited Jerusalem, that was not one of the places I went, but uh, it is contentious, and there are a lot of different authorities with different, very confusing um, realms mm. that they take care of. Like entrance to the Temple Mount is different than security on the Temple Mount. And yeah, so there are lots of governing bodies that were tricky to sort out. But yeah. again, the Temple Mount, you know, people who have been like, I'm so excited for the movie when they haven't finished the book yet. I said, well, when you get to the end of the book, you might think this will never be a movie because it is incendiary. Yeah, it, 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 it would, especially nowadays with what's going on in the Middle East, there's no question. Yes. Uh, but I, I did remark to myself, having been to Israel twice, and been in Jerusalem and been very close to the the dome and and felt an energy not always positive but an energy around it and you do feel that way in in of all places Jerusalem more than I think any other city on earth so uh, that's mm-hmm. that's impressive the book is a is a thrill ride from beginning to end so I want to talk to you about some of the specific questions that I had as I was reading along first of all the weaponry all right there's a lot of action i mean there are shootouts and fights and chases and all that you seem pretty adept at uh, pointing out what kind of weapons people are using. And what's that special uh, – it's not a gun, but it's something that she holds in her hand, uh, some oh. kind of a knife. Uh, explain what that is, first of all. It is a carom bit. You have one um, You have one to show me? I do have one to show you. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Carom bit. That looks, um, looks like one of those Knights of the Arabians uh, knives <laughs> from the old days. It, it's a little like a raptor claw. They're mm. um, fantastic knives. They're not that common. Um, I thought that I, I'm kind of a knife, sword, gun person. I have interesting collections. And when I found a caramel the first time, I thought this is going to be a signature weapon. It's distinctive. It's uh, it's kind of fun, kind of ferocious looking just in itself. I've interviewed a ton of authors, including people like Lee Child, who writes the Reacher series. So. One of the questions I always have is writing action sequences. I think it's very challenging for a writer, and I I thought you pulled it off brilliantly because you're reading along and you're Im- imaging it in your head, and you want to have it work like a movie in your head, and yours does. Was that something you had to really struggle with, or is that something you f- feel very comfortable with? I feel really comfortable with that, actually. Um, coming from a screenwriting background where – you need to use words very sparsely and sort of lead the eye down the page at a certain pace. You're often using a lot of spaces between lines to sort of punctuate each bit of action. Mm -hmm. And you do need to draw it out in a cinematic way because you're trying to get people to imagine the movie version, like you were saying. Um, And I think that's, that's one of my strengths as a screenwriter and, Thankfully, hopefully, it translates to novel writing as well. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Uh, there are moments when the uh, the jinn, uh, one or more of them, inhabit the bodies of humans, and that's mm-hmm. that's right out of The Exorcist times ten. And you could I could just visualize all that really spooky stuff and exciting stuff all the way. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. I'm going to back up a little bit. You, we've mentioned Indiana Jones more than once. I'm a huge fan. And I understand you were exposed to that and Star Wars and all the other pop culture iconic stuff when you were a, a younger 
child, right? Yeah. Yes, I have some older brothers and some older cousins who were obsessed. I mean, one of my cousins even had the whip and used to practice out in the yard. A whip and a hat, and that's all you need. Um, So, yeah, I did grow up with that. I, I just adore the aspect of exploring, I think. And history is an exploration in itself. Going to different countries is an exploration, even... A lot of the research that I had to do for this, it, it not only stocked my arsenal for information, but it actually led to new plot points. It led to new twists in the story. I will give you cred for a lot of things, but I was in Israel the last time in August of 2023, uh, before everything mm-hmm. fell apart and sadly things happened. And uh, I learned about the the excavation via bulldozer. It wasn't excavation. It was just destroying a whole bunch of piles of dirt and rubble, and in effect, uh, perhaps ruining our artifacts and ancient relics and things like that. And the Israelis are trying to sift through that stuff now, and you can actually do it uh, uh, as a volunteer, and you, you find little relics from 2,000 years ago. I mean, that was a detail that I didn't expect to find in the book, and I did, so congratulations. <laughs> you do stumble upon a lot when you just wander the internet for hours. It's yeah, fun. yeah, it does force you to do that. Speaking of uh, information, I'd love you to tell the story, if you would, because it's in your bio, about a near-death experience that might have changed your life in, in some respects back in, what, when sure. you were in college? Yeah, I haven't talked about that in a while. It's nothing like hanging off the edge of a cliff, but uh, I was in my freshman year at college uh, up in Vermont, and I contracted... Um, bacterial meningitis, which is not uncommon in college. And uh, that was, that was pretty bad. Um, And I got to the hospital in an extremely severe state. It was pretty critical. Obviously, things came out on the positive, but it actually was quite startling for an 18 year old to encounter something like that. And, uh, and it did, it caused me to reconsider a lot of what I was doing. I was having fun at college, but I didn't have a desired direction. So I, yeah, I thought and prayed about it for two weeks and then really came out on the writing side. Hmm. It's been good for me. Did you have uh, an experience, a spiritual experience of some kind, uh, or was it just coming so close? It was coming so close, truly. Yeah, it does put everything into perspective, doesn't it, Parker? when you're that that much on the edge of life and death. Well, congratulations on weathering (laughs) that. My goodness. Thanks. Screenwriting, uh, you talked about that earlier, is such a specialty, especially art. And a lot of us complain about the writing in films today. And now you're writing a novel where you can create everything. You can create the characters, the action, the settings. But what are the challenges in, in your estimation to writing a good screenplay and getting it read by anybody. I mean, talk about the process. Well, screenplays are so much more about structure. Um, you, you really need much tighter structure for a screenplay. You have less space to tell a story. You need to be extremely efficient. You can't sort of indulge in that much. Um, and my partner and I were, our strength was in writing pretty fast paced uh, action thriller stuff, as you can probably guess. Mm. Uh, it is a very hard business. Um, it's hard to get your stuff seen. It's hard to get it picked up. If you do get it picked up, it will be rewritten. It's not unusual. It will be changed a million times. You 
almost no control once it leaves your hands. So to write a novel, man, the only limitation is your imagination. You don't have to worry about budget. You don't have to worry about development or getting rewritten. It is in its true form when you're finished with the book. No, a screenplay is more like a blueprint. Right, right. Yeah, you you are the creator of everything and your mark is, is on it. Well, that gives me time to ask a few more questions about the book because I'm just a curious guy. You have the uh, customary professor who can comment on the historical relevance of certain things, the gin, the relics, etc. And then you have a young student. I mean, you got to have somebody like that explain stuff because we know the heroes who are action heroes, they need information. They need uh, cred and they can't do it on their own, right? Yeah, it's always a trick to take what you've researched and learned and distill it in an entertaining but limited way for the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the iceberg, but they only want to see the very top of it. So you do need someone to dole that out. You need someone to be sort of entertaining as they do it. Um, but also on this one, we needed someone who is physically capable to go with the main characters. And it wouldn't be this 50-year-old woman sitting in an office in uh, in England. So we, we, you know, decided to go with the younger, extremely enthusiastic grad student who would have <laughs> most of the knowledge they would need. Yeah, that was great. The he other doesn't th- always make dis- good decisions, though. And, and that leads to another question. You have so many codes and things you have to unravel, the characters have to unravel, mm-hmm. and... Uh, being of the Jewish persuasion, you got the Hebrew alphabet correct. I know that. Uh, but uh, searching for something very special, in this case, uh, one of King Solomon's relics, does that relic actually exist or do we think it exists? And and is it something that has been written about or did you make that up? There are drawings of it um, and there are recreations of it. So we essentially know what it looked like. There are a whole bunch of legends about it and um the islamic faith they believe that it allowed uh king solomon to talk to animals among other things little dr do little ring i'm not sure how that made him super powerful but uh <laughs> also to control jinn um, yes yes and so it comes up in different places and different faiths and histories but we don't have the actual ring the solomon's king solomon's ring it's interesting too that all three major religions uh christianity Islam and Judaism, I mean, share so much. Uh, it's a shame that there's so much animosity because, you know, they believe, uh, I believe the Muslims believe that uh, Abraham is one of their prophets. I mean, it's all intermingled. Uh, if people could just stop and listen and take a breath, they might uh, appreciate that more. I don't know. Maybe it's mm-hmm. wishful thinking. So After all this time, it might be, but yeah. still, you're not wrong. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much. The book is called Rage of the Jinn, spelled J-I-N-N. And yes, you'll think genie in a whole different way. Name of the author, it's a pseudonym, is Ox, O-X, Devere, D-E-V-E-R-E. We explained it earlier. Go back and listen again. And the website, oxdevere.com for all kinds of info. But it's Parker Jameson, who, by the way, that's a good name too, Parker Jameson. That's you could be a detective. Doesn't it sound with a, like a pen name already? It does. It's anybody <laughs> with a first name Parker. You know, sounds like a great yeah. name. Parker Pens. There you go. Thank you so much. It was delightful meeting you. And uh, by the way, uh, nepotism counts. Your mom is a <laughs> friend of mine, and she said, "Would you be kind enough to take a look at the book?" I said, "Sure." 
And I did, and I loved it. So thank you very much, Parker. Thank you very much. It was great to meet you. I loved having this conversation. Parker Jameson, writing under the pseudonym Ox Devere, O-X-D-E-V-E-R-E. But look for the title, Rage of the Jinn, available everywhere. Jinn spelled J-I-N-N. And thank you for making this a part of your regular podcast download. We really appreciate that. Go to jordanrich.com for much more. And as always, dear friends, remember to be well so you can do good. Take care. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.